Hey guys, welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. I'm Judah Thomas, the lead pastor, and we thank you for joining us today as we discover what God's Word has to say to us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd encourage you to leave a rating, review, share it with your friends or family, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Thrive Church. For those of you that are here with us and those of you that are watching online, we are so glad to have you with us this morning. My name is Judah Thomas. I'm the pastor here at Thrive, and I just want to welcome you here as we continue our series on urban legends, urban legends. You know, we're talking about a bunch of different myths, uh, like the, these frogs. I mean, imagine here, I mean, man, you, you hear those sounds. I mean, I, I looked up online, frogs screaming, and I mean, there's just some crazy sounds these things make, and our minds begin to play, and there's all kinds of myths. Like, there's some myths around cars. Maybe you've heard some of these before. Like, uh, for example, what is the color of the car that gets pulled over the most red Red, that's what we all think but it's not true it's just a myth and they've studied it they took all the 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 speeding tickets and they they charted them out as some nerds apparently enjoy doing and they found that red is not the one that gets the most the one that actually gets the most is gray of all colors and and silver which to me, is very similar to gray, actually gets the least amount. So basically, what does all that prove? It proves absolutely nothing. It's if you speed, you're probably going to get a speeding ticket. Uh, another one was, was that the, the Chevy Nova was released here in America, and then they released it in Mexico, and it was a huge flop. Do you know why they claim it was a huge flop? Because the word Nova means what? No go, right? So, so, so that that's the legend. Now, now the truth is, is it does mean no go. The the problem with the myth is that it was one of the best selling cars in Mexico uh, that that Chevy had ever released. So I don't know. Apparently they uh, they just still bought it even though it said no go. So these are some myths that we hear and we tend to believe and we tend to, to strike up conversations with. We're at a party and don't know what to say. And like, hey, did you know cars that are red get pulled over the most? And we use these as ways of striking up conversation. Well, we're going to talk about one today. But first, I want you to look around. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look behind you. And I want you to take your finger and point to the biggest center you see, okay? Come on. Let, let, Okay, some people point at yourself, some people are pointing at each other. Okay, this this is great, you know. Don't feel bad, you know. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um we are all sinners. But here's the problem with a lot of churches and a lot of people in this day and age. We don't like to talk about sin. I don't like to call you a sinner, and you probably don't like to call me a sinner. So instead, we don't talk about sin all that much. Some people believe, oh, well, it's my calling, and it's, it's our church's goal to just uplift people, to make them feel better, to encourage them, to give them hope and joy. And whereas that's good, we should be doing those things, but we should also have the freedom to talk about sin. You know, we do need encouragement, but if we don't talk about sin, we're doing a huge disservice to the church and to the people that are in it. We end up watering down what we say 
And we say, well, I just don't want to talk about that because I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. If I say something that makes you feel uncomfortable, you might not come back next week. And we do a disservice. We water it down. We think, oh, well, it's really no big deal. As long as I, as long as I teach some good things, it's no big deal if I don't talk about that. It's like what someone said, if, if, if you have a, a, a bottle under your sink, and on the bottom of the bottle there's, there's that skull and crossbones, you've seen that. What does that usually mean? Poison, do not drink. Well, I don't want to talk about poison, so instead, I'm going to put a nice little flower sticker over that, right? I'm going to take that warning off altogether, because I don't want to offend anybody by talking about poison. No, we would say that's ridiculous, Well, the reality is that it's becoming harder and harder to tell the difference between those who claim to be followers of Christ and those who are not followers of Christ. It's very difficult to to tell the difference between them. We look at their actions, how they act. We look at their lifestyles, how they, they live their lives. And it's very difficult to tell the difference between believers and people that aren't believers. We see that the divorce rates are just about the same with believers and unbelievers. We see lawsuits are just about the same between believers and and non-believers. It's like there was a a Christian just recently, supposedly, he was was suing chilies, I believe it was, because he, uh, he got splattered with the oil from his fajita thing they brought up the sizzling hot I mean you know it's sizzling hot and he bowed his head to pray and and apparently and it's like come on like really I mean you know and it ultimately got thrown out but we're you know we're not living our lives any differently generosity you know as followers of Christ we should be leading the way in generosity yet a lot of times people that don't have faith actually give more and are more generous if you look at my life and there's no difference on the outside then you begin to wonder, is there really a difference on the inside? If there's nothing, if you don't do anything different, if you live the same way as everyone else, is there really a difference on the inside? Because I want to be cool, I want to be hip. You know, Jesus is awesome, he's my homeboy. You know, Jesus is the greatest thing. Yeah, whatever. But what, but what we end up wanting to do is we want to, get this, we want to add Jesus without subtracting sin. We want to add Jesus without subtracting sin. The problem is is we want to add Jesus to our life. Oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And we want to add Jesus, but we don't want to subtract sin. We want the benefits of being a believer without changing our everyday life. Oh, I want to know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want it to affect the way I live my life. I want a revival in my heart. I want a revival, but I don't want to repent of sin. I want to add Christ without subtracting sin. Did you know that spiritual maturity is not about how much we know, but it's about how much we obey. Jesus told a parable about two builders. There were these subcontractors that were were building houses for some wealthy individuals. And and the wise builder, he went and he found a big strong rock, a big foundation, and he built this beautiful home on this rock and on this foundation. The other builder said, I want some oceanfront property. And so he built his house right there 
on the beach, on the sand. Now guess what happened when the storms come, when the winds blow? That one on the rock, it stands firm, but the one on the sand, we see it all the time. They get washed away. Jesus said, the difference between the two is the wise person is the one who hears my word and obeys the teaching. The foolish person hears the word, but doesn't obey it. See, coming to church, well, this doesn't make you a believer. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you a follower of Christ. See, your actions are what determine that. See, we're not talking about how many verses you have memorized. I had a good friend once, and we, we hung out uh, almost every day for an entire summer, and this guy, he knew God's word inside and out. I mean, he could quote any scripture. He probably knew more scripture than anybody had ever met, but his life was an utter mess because it was in the head, but it wasn't coming out in actions. It's not about the Bible studies we lead or participate in. It's not about knowing all about Christianity or Jesus or coming up and being able to, to have a debate or an argument about it. It's not about how much we know, it's about how much we obey and how much we live. See, most Christians, most followers of Christ have been educated beyond their level of maturity, or beyond their level of obedience, rather. Man, we, we know a lot, but we're obeying a little. We know it, but don't live it. So this urban legend we're talking about today is some legends about sin, some sin legends. We're going to study three of them. And the first one, man, people say this all the time. I've heard it hundreds of times. You've probably heard it as well. Maybe you've even said it before. The first sin legend is this. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Now, there's a lot of bad people in the world, but I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never, never done anything too bad. Man, people are, are generally pretty good. It's like, i got one of my favorite shirts here. Except it's a little dirty. <laughs> and you can look at it and go like, yeah, it's a little dirty, but it's not that bad. It's not as dirty as someone else's shirt, man. I've seen some guys that they do auto mechanics, and their shirts are a lot dirtier than my shirt is. It's really not that bad. The thing of it is, is it, is it still, still dirty? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? You are really, 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 really bad. <laughs> Welcome to Thrive Church. Our goal is to make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We, we're all sin. We, we're, all, we're born into sin. People think that, they, say, they look at little babies and they're like, oh, how innocent those little babies are. And they do look innocent, don't they? But let me tell you, if you've ever had babies, they're not so innocent after a while. And, and, and people say, like, like they have these, these sto stories about Tarzan. It's like, oh, he only knows what a lie is because someone's taught him that or this or that or all these crazy things. Oh, these babies are so innocent. They pick up our influence. Man, I have never, ever, ever, ever taught my kids or demonstrated to my kids what it looks like to have a temper tantrum. 
But let me tell you, they figured it out all on their own. I never taught them to lie, and they figured it out on their own. I never hit their mother, and I've never hit them in an abusive way, and yet they've learned all on their own how to use those hands to hit other people. And say, oh, we're, we're, you know, we're, they're just so innocent. No, we're born with sin. We are sinful people. First John 1.8 says this. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are what? Calling God a liar. And showing that his word has what? Has no place in our hearts. If we say, oh, I I don't have sin, we're calling God a liar. Oh, I'm not that bad. See, we are sinful people. And there's a great danger if we don't recognize our need for God. Much like this this guy I heard about, he was out in the desert. Have you ever been out in a desert before? No, I, you know, a couple years ago, I went out into um, to Death Valley in Nevada, or Nevada, California line there, and we were out in Death Valley in June at about 8 o'clock at night, and it was 112 degrees. I mean, it was hot. Now, now I like survival stuff. I like to, to think that, hey, you can throw me off in the middle of the woods somewhere and I will survive. In fact, I will probably thrive. I was in Death Valley and I was like, man, if I had to spend the night here, I would be dead. Like, there's no water around. I mean, for me, one of the first uh, things in survival is what? To, 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 um, to get a shelter and to build a fire. I'm like, well, number one, what am I going to do with a fire out here and with all this heat? Number two, there's no wood for me to burn out here. Number three, there's nowhere for me to have a shelter. Another one is to find water. After driving through Death Valley for an hour, we did find water, which tasted about like ocean water. I mean, man, it's great. So anyhow, there's this guy on the desert. He got sidetracked there. And he, he's, he's parched. He's thirsty. He's dying of thirst. And he's going through, and he sees a guy with like a little stand set up in the middle of the desert saying, free neckties, free neckties. He's got racks and neckties. And the guy's like, do you have water? We've got, no. Free neckties. You want a necktie? Uh, no, not particularly. So he keeps walking. And he's going, and he's going, and he's going. And about an hour later, he goes over this bridge, and he goes down into the valley, and guess what he sees? He sees a restaurant there. This gorgeous restaurant. And why is it in the middle of the desert? I have no clue, but just bear with me for a moment. And he goes, and he gets ready. He's, he's like, I, he goes up to the maitre d' and says, can I have a glass of water? And the maitre d' points to the sign and says, you must be wearing a necktie. <laughs> The problem is, is he didn't see his need for a necktie at first. Had he seen his need for a necktie, he would have probably grabbed one. And oftentimes, we don't see our need for a Savior, so we just keep going along. We don't recognize the sin in our own life. We just keep going along and then realize, I should have picked that up along the way. We're separated from God by this sin. And as a result, we need a savior. See, it feels very good to say, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. Many of you know I have a friend who's in prison for for murder. 
and, and I can say, well, I'm not as bad as him. I'm just not that bad. We compare ourselves to each other and, and, oh, I don't look that bad. You know what? Your shirt is a lot dirtier than mine. I'm not that bad. It's okay. I can wear this. But here's the thing. When I begin to compare my sin, my life to God, now I start to see it. Now it starts to show up and become more real to me. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous, de- righteous deeds, read this together, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. Our sins sweep us away like the wind. Filthy rags, disgusting. This is real gross stuff here. I looked up that word, filthy, in the Hebrew language. It's ida. Idda, that's the word. And you know what it means? It means menstrual. I know, it's gross. So we re- it, it, it's like menstrual rags, okay? It's disgusting. I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading it to you. That's how our righteousness, when we try to be good, oh, I'm so good, that's what we're bringing to God. My best attempts at righteousness fall short. I'm not a bad person. Oh, yes, you are. Unless we realize this, though, we won't see our need for Jesus, our need for a Savior. The next sin legend we're going to talk about is one that probably most of us believe. A lot of followers of Christ, in fact, believe this. And it's that all sin is the same. All sin is the same. See, this is a very common thing. It's a very common way to justify our sins. Oh, I did this, but, you know, it's okay, because all sin is the same. Who are you to judge me? You've sinned too, I sinned too. Hey, all sin is the same. My sin isn't any worse than your sin. God doesn't say this, though. He doesn't say it. Now, let me be, be very, very clear about something. Let me be very clear. All sin separates us from God. All sin, doesn't matter how big or how little, all sin separates us from God. All unforgiven sin is the same in God's eyes because it separates us from God. And the punishment is hell. But the reason why people say this is because of this verse that Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, he says, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, do you see the error of thinking all sin is the same? We could read that and say, well, if it's the same, I might as well just commit adultery. I might as well, because in God's eyes, it's all the same. See, what it says here is that the heart is the same. The heart is the same. It says, if anyone looks at a woman, he's already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. See, the heart was the same, but guess what? Listen, the consequences are not the same. See, one of these, well, we might be able to work through this. The other one could end up splitting up a marriage, getting someone pregnant, getting all kinds of number of things happening because of that. See, it's not the same. The consequences here on this earth and the consequences even in eternity are not the same. See, our obedience and disobedience affect three things. The first thing our obedience or disobedience affect is our rewards in heaven. 
The Bible says that we can store up rewards in heaven. We can store up treasure in heaven by the good things that we do. The second thing is, is our punishment in hell. Hell is a very real place. A lot of people don't like to talk about it, but hell is a very, very, very real, horrible place that we don't want to go there. We don't want our worst enemy to go there. But some sins lead to a more severe punishment. The third thing is our consequences here on the earth. Some sins won't wreck your life. As fast, other sins will leave you dead or leave those that you love dead or they can destroy your life. I, for, I'll give an example. One of the Ten Commandments is not to covet, right? Well, I could look at my neighbor's boat and say, man, I just really want that boat. I just, I, I just, I gotta have that boat. I gotta have that boat. Now, now I might confess that to you and you might be like, okay, Judah, that's okay. We're, we'll pray for you. It's going to be okay. I can still continue being your pastor here. But if I say, I'm going to take all the money of the church. I'm going to move to Costa Rica and join a nudist colony. <laughs> you might be like, you know what? It's time to resign. It's time to, time to turn it in now. <laughs> you know, you, you've, you've taken things a little bit too far. Because they, all of our sins don't have the same consequences. Luke 12, 47. It says, and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry it out. Okay, here's a servant. He knows what his master wants, but he doesn't do it. He says he will be what? Severely punished. Verse 48 says, but someone who does not know, then does something wrong, will be what? Punished only lightly. Different levels of punishment. See, there's some things in the Bible that really ticked Jesus off. One thing that we know that really ticked Jesus off what was any kind of discrimination or abuse towards children. Right in Matthew 18, verse 6, he says, But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, I can just imagine seeing Jesus here. And man, he's got a vein popping out of his head. And he's like, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it will be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the depths of the sea. Man, we read it like, oh, that was sweet. No, he was ticked off. He's like, you don't cause one of these to sin. In the Old Testament, this is the first part of the Bible. Before Jesus came, there was 11, 10 plus 1, 11 sins that would get you the death penalty. Now, they had 613 other laws that they all had to obey, all of these, the Jewish people. But only 11 of those equaled death. Only 11. In the New Testament, we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that there's qualifications that are set for people that are in leadership in ministry, such as pastors and teachers and, and things like that. We see certain things, and we're held to a higher standard in a lot of cases. And we see that in Luke 20, verse 46, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He said, beware of these teachers of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace. And how they love the seat of honor in the synagogues and the head table of banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat 
widows out of their property. And they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, what? They will be severely punished. Not just punished, severely punished. The third legend. Boy, something we all have fell into at one point in time. It's, well, I've already sinned, so I might as well just keep doing it. I've, I've, I've already opened it up, so <laughs> might as well just keep going down there. You know, there's a boy and a girl, and they're hanging out. They love each other. They like each other. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, he's cute. But they want to they wanna save themselves. They want to be pure before marriage. But they're together, and start putting on extra squirts of perfume and cologne and... Oh, and their fingers touch each other, and their legs touch each other, and they start getting the tinglys, and then before you know it, boom, they've lost their virginity to each other. Well, we already did it, so we might as well just keep doing it. And then 11 sex partners later, the person gets married, and they wonder why they have all this baggage in their lives. When I was in 7th grade, I believe it was 7th grade. No, 8th grade. When I was in 8th grade, I don't know why. I, you know, I always thought I was a decent student. And I never thought I would do anything unethical. But uh, I had the opportunity to cheat. And I'm like, oh, well, I really don't want to cheat. But I didn't study. And if I fail this, I'm going to have to do it again. So I said, I, I'll, I'll just do it this one time. And I did it. And I cheated. Guess what? Next time cheating was a lot easier. That entire year, I don't think I even took a test that year that I didn't cheat on. Because it just became easier and easier and easier to do it. Like, man, I've already done it once. What difference does it make now? We just throw in the towel. Lust is very similar. Oh, I'm just going along, going along, looking on the internet, this or that. Oh, well, I've already fallen into it. I might as well just keep going. Second Peter, verse two, or chapter two, rather, verse twenty, says, "And when these people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before." You want to see some miserable people? Miserable people are not generally those that have not discovered God yet. People that are unbelievers. Those, the most miserable people that you'll find are people that were following Christ and then they go back. The Bible says like a dog returning to his vomit. They get enslaved into sin again. And these are some of the most miserable people. These Christians stepped back into sin. You look okay on the outside. You come here and you, you fool us all. But on the inside, you know what's going on. It's progressive. It grows a little bit here and a little bit there until it leads ultimately to destruction. Several years ago, I don't know, almost like 18 years ago, I almost died of hypothermia. I won't tell the whole story now, but, but here's the deal with that. You know what? It, you're, you're cold a little bit and then it gets very subtle. You start feeling warm again. I just want to go to sleep. I feel comfortable. I'm not cold. I'm warm. I just want to go to sleep. It's a sleep of death. That's what that is. Here's the thing, it's very subtle, but it's progressive. It's like, I read about uh, this guy, his name was Gary. And, and he was 
uh, at this particular zoo and, and the, the person that was running the zoo was talking about raccoons and saying raccoons, especially ones that have grown up in captivity, they have this biological switch that at 24 months old, it switches and they become wild. And, and he said, you know, this is just something that we have to face and blah, blah, blah. And then Gary knew his friend Julie had a pet raccoon. So he went to her and said, Julie, I just heard this thing and I want to let you know that, that raccoons, when they turn 24 months old, something switches in them and they go wild. And you know what Julie said? It won't happen to me. I know my raccoon. It won't happen. Several months later, after having plastic surgery to her face, they released the raccoon into the wild. See, because we're like, oh, it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. It's okay. I can go back and everything will be just fine. But it's, it's progressive. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation comes from what? From our own desires. You know, I, I've uh, recently, in the last couple of years, gotten back into, um, into fly fishing. Just one of my fishing rods. I know it doesn't look like much, does it? <laughs> This is actually, uh, it's called a Tenkara rod. It's a Japanese kind of fly rod. <laughs> and, uh, you know, pretty long here. And I like to go out. And, and what I've actually started doing now is um, tying my own flies. So a lot of fly fishermen, you know, it's not enough to just catch something. But these are all flies that I've tied. And, and you know what the purpose of tying flies is? It's to mimic something that the fish desires with the intent of capturing them. So I've mimicked different kinds of bugs and insects here as best as my, to my ability, and hopefully I'll catch some, some trout this year. But listen again what this says here. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, just like I intend to do to some fish, hopefully, <laughs> this springtime. Well, that's what the, our enemy, the devil, does to us. He's like, mm, oh, I see what you like. You like to look at this on the internet. Or, oh, I see what you like. You know, you like this. You like, and, and oh, and I cast it out there. Oh, he's looking, looking, looking. Oh, got him. And then reels us in. See, because what we want is we want more of Christ. We want to add Christ into our life without subtracting sin. We want to have a revival without repentance. But spiritual maturity is not about how much we know, it's about how much we obey. So what should we do? The scripture says that we should repent. Repent. Let's say it together. On the count of three, one, two, three, repent. Repent simply means, re means to go back, to turn around, to turn away from our sins. In Revelations, we see the church of Laodicea. This church was a lot like a lot of churches are today. Here was this church. They had this outward view of faith. They did all the right things. They went through all the right motions. They looked great. They looked religious, but they were really lukewarm. 
They weren't hot or cold. In Revelations 3, verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Turn from that. Repent is to change your mind. We've been educated beyond our ability to obey. We experience Christ's freedom, though, when we say, I'm no longer going to live in the bondage of this sin anymore. If you aren't any different on the outside, you have to question the change. And educate beyond our ability to obey. We experience Christ's freedom, though, when we say, I'm no longer going to live in the bondage of this sin anymore. If you aren't any different on the outside, you have to question the change on the inside. Does your heart break because you've sinned against God? See, this is not a game. This is not a joke. You've only got one shot to get this right. Sin is not a joke. We need to address this. We need to repent of these things. We need to leave it. We need to confess it. We need to move on from it. And we need to let God deal with it. Because he's the only one that can save us from it. He's the only one that can forgive us of it. He's the only one that can take this clean shirt and make it new again. He's the only one that can forgive and restore the broken lives. He's the only one that can take the sin away and make us be able to have a right relationship with God again. So we can be reborn and renewed through Christ Jesus. Let's get the band up here. And I want you to think for a moment about your own life. Now maybe you're close to God, maybe you're far from God, maybe you're somewhere in the in between. But I want you to think about that sin kind of like this, called a woolly bugger. <laughs> Kind of like, what is this in your life? What, give it a name. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me, believe me. Give it a name right now. And I'll, we're going to take a moment here. And I want you just to confess that. Send to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins that we can confess our sins to you. Lord, whatever these things are, we ask you to forgive us, to make us new. Just take a moment and confess that to God right now. Now here's my challenge for you. Confess to God for forgiveness. But I want you to find someone that you love, that loves you, that you trust, that trusts you. And confess that sin to them. See, here's what the Bible teaches us. We confess sin to God for forgiveness, but we confess sins to each other for healing. It says, confess your sins one to another so that you will be healed. And some of us, for so we're, we're going along in our lives and saying, God, I confess this sin to you over and over and over. And why the heck won't you take it away? And it's because we're confessing our sins to God and he's forgiving us, but we're not getting the healing because we're not confessing it 
to someone else who loves us and cares about us. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's a brother or sister. I don't know who it is for you, but I want you to put a name to that person right now and say, this week, this week I will confess this to them for healing. Maybe some of us have just not been taking sin seriously. I'm just okay. Or not. Maybe some of you here are looking for a, for a fresh start in your life. And for those of you, man, it's time to come home to God. It's time to, to get the forgiveness that he has. Man, man we, you've been separated from God for far too long. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you say this with your mouth, that you'll be saved. And we're going to pray right now. And I would invite you, if you're far from God or even if you're close with God, to say this prayer. If you want to say it aloud, you can. That's fine. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes, that's fine. If you want to look up around, that's fine too. But we're going to say this prayer together of, Dear God, please forgive my sin. Forgive me for ignoring things in my life that are not your will for me. Please forgive me and help me to find someone that I can confess this to as well. You are my Lord. You know, there is power in the name of Jesus he has come to set the captives free. We've been in bondage to slavery. We've been in bondage to sin for so long. But there is only one King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that can break these chains that bind us. One, Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.